Hey, Life Talks listeners, thanks so much for joining us. We just want to thank you so much for your dedication to listen to us and know that this is our... I'm going to do this over again. Yeah, because you grammatically massacred that. That was bad. That was horrible. Dan, why, well, then why don't why don't you do it then? <laughs> no, I just like to criticize. Yeah, he's he's the grumpy old man. <laughs> we talk good for four hundred episodes. <laughs> yeah, oh. You dangled a serious participle there, my friend. <laughs> oh man, I hate dangling participles. Yeah. It's the worst. Just just as you get ready to do this, know that I'm sitting here listening to it. No, no, no. I just sitting there. I'm judging. That's, I, I'm that's judging what he's doing. He's everywhere. judging. I got my pen out, <laughs> taking notes. No pressure, though. Thank you, Life Talk listeners, for joining us on this special 400th episode. We cannot believe that it's been uh, so many episodes that we've gone through. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Dan, I can't do it with you sitting there. <laughs> I cannot believe we done 400 already. <laughs> okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> Don't leave. No, no. You need to say something. Get on the microphone, and we're going to do this together. Dan, it's our 400th episode. Is there anything you want to say to the to our audience? Nope. <laughs> Welcome to 400 episodes. We'll see you next time. Can you believe it, Ben? This is episode number 400. We made it, Dan. I don't know. Do we get a prize? No, but, but the, you know, the listeners should get a prize. Just pat her, just, up with just put your put, pat yourself on the back. My mother's proud of me. Is your mother proud of me? <laughs> My did mother's you, very your, proud of me. Does your mother listen to the podcast? I don't know if she does. Mine does. So that means my mom loves you more than oh. your mom loves you. That's obvious. <laughs> no, listeners, four hundred episodes. That's a big. That's a big milestone. Thank you so much for joining us on our uh, weekly, biweekly. Is it biweekly or is bi-weekly? It it's our biweekly. Yes. yes. So, well, thanks for joining us. We truly appreciate it. And here's for 400 more. That was sweet. We are back with another episode in our continuing series of things that we do in church that may not make sense. Yeah. You know, where well, do they come from? Yeah, why do we do it? We why just, do we do it? I know yeah. we just wrapped up two episodes on baptism. So go back and check those out. Really interesting stuff about the history of baptism, uh, all the governmental um, in, uh, influence that happened early on yeah, and the, the baggage, baggage that came yeah. with it. Uh, so two fascinating episodes. Today, we're digging into the Lord's Supper mm. or communion, communion, as people yeah. may know it yeah. as. So. Why the Eucharist. We, if you grew up in a very high church, it was called the Eucharist. So we can. Yeah. yeah so why are we? Why are we doing that? Why are we? Well, wine and something in some churches. It, it, crackers yeah, why, and, and grape juice in other Welch's churches. Or <laughs> what do we do? Should it be unleavened bread yeah. or leavened bread? I mean, that's a real thing. I remember. Okay, just to get off off get us off course really quickly. I remember when I was a youth pastor. Uh, this was in a one of these youth ministry magazines, how there was a youth pastor that was trying to teach his kids the Lord's Supper and wanted to make it relevant. And so they practiced the Lord's Supper with soda and pizza. Oh, my God. And I remember, like, grape soda and pizza. And I just remember, like, cringing inside. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, that's not that's... good. That's <laughs> not good. But, but yeah, so. so Relevance. But, but, but again, okay, so I have that reaction. Well, that's not good. But why? Why, why could we hear, why do you and I hear that and we cringe inside, whereas someone thinks that's a good idea? Yeah. I mean, you're, uh, to me, you're just taking any holiness out of it and you're taking, you're just making it an everyday thing. Okay. So this is, this is the great battle of the great struggle that the, that communion, the Lord's Supper has been for 2000 years. 
Okay. And so, and let me just say this, uh, communion has been a struggle for the, for the church for 2000 years. And the reason why we know that is because in first Corinthians 11, when Paul gives instructions for the Lord's supper, we know the church in Corinth is abusing it. Mm. Right, so we know from the very beginning <laughs> he wouldn't be writing about how to do it. Right, we've been we've been messing this whole thing up for two thousand years. So there's I, not a don't touch chain yeah. while moving on a chainsaw for no reason. That's right. Somebody messed that Someone up. Someone did something. So if we want to th- follow the thread, where did the Lord's Supper come from? We know that it's it was instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But the reason why Jesus was was it was not like when Jesus was partaking, he's like, guys, this is the Last Supper. Like that, He didn't call it that. We called that. But looking back, what was Jesus doing? He was celebrating Passover. It was a Passover meal, okay? And so the Passover meal was to remember the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can read about it in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And so Jesus was remembering and in, 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 in celebrating that remembrance of Jesus or of God delivering his people from bondage. And so what he was saying to his disciples when he instituted the, the bread and the cup, what he was saying is that, that, that moment of foretelling of being released and being set free from bondage, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm not just the fulfillment of that physically. I'm the fulfillment of that spiritually. Like, like I have come to set people free, not just from Egypt, but from the curse of sin and death. And so Jesus says, this is the new, the, the new covenant in my blood. And so he establishes the new covenant. We read about the new covenant in, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. And so the whole idea is there's a new covenant, one that's better than Mount, the one given on Mount Sinai. And the new covenant that is sealed with the blood of Jesus. And so what he's saying is when you take of the cup, remember the sacrifice that my blood. When you when you take the when you eat the bread, remember my body that was given for you, this idea of substitution. And so understanding what Jesus has accomplished for us is the whole point of the Lord's Supper. And so very early on, we know we can re- there's not many church services that are explained in church history. It's very interesting. Like we only have a few accounts of them, but when people do give accounts of the the Lord's Day worship, what would happen is uh, typically, if we're looking at first, second century, that church would gather together. Now, again, this was usually a work day. Sunday was a work day, okay, for most people. So they would meet later on in the eve- either early mornings or later in the afternoons and evenings when the people were done with their work, and there would be a time when there would be a singing and teaching of God's word. And usually, what there would be multiple teachers, multiple teachers that would teach for a few minutes at a time. There would be teaching out of the Old Testament. There would be a teaching of Jesus. Um, there would be singing of songs, and then they would dismiss any. They would dismiss people who might have been visiting. And then after the people who were visiting or who weren't really followers, then they would close the doors and they would have what they call a love feast. And it's what Paul calls it. It's called the agape, you know, so, so this idea of love feast. And they would have, it was a potluck. You would bring your food and they would eat every single week to remember this last, the last supper. If you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you know what potlucks yeah, I mean, are and after so, service. <laughs> and so when you think about potlucks, uh, this idea of people bring a covered dish or yep, whatever to yep. church, they did that every single week. And at, in some, at some point within the meal, they would, they would partake and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And so 
it was very celebratory. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we think about the Lord's Supper and communion, it's very somber. It's very, you know, you know, formal. And yeah. it was not like that in the early church. It was very celebratory. The problem with it was it became, it turned into something that it should not have. And imagine a potluck where you bring your own food and you don't share it with anybody else. Mm. Okay, so this is so this is what the this is what Paul is writing about in the love feast. The love feast was being corrupted by um the the rich people would bring lots of food to show off they were really rich and bring lots of wine and they would get drunk. Paul says some of you are getting drunk at the love feast. And if you were a slave, what kind of food could you bring? Yeah, nothing. Very meager. Little, yeah. Very yeah. meager amounts to celebrate. And so it wasn't, hey, put all your food on the table and we'll share it together. It was a Outward express, he's saying you're doing more harm than good. You are bragging about the divisions. And the whole point of the love feast was saying, we are all eating together as slaves, as free, as Jews and Gentiles, men and women. That is something that did not happen in those days. And so the whole point of the love feast was to show we are all one under Christ, under the blood. We're all equal value. And so it was a it was a testament against the the racism and the um, sexism and all the other isms that exist, classism that that exist in that culture, and that's the be- that's the beauty of what the church should be and yeah. should look like. But what the church in Corinth was doing was really it was just corrupting it. You know, people were, were getting drunk, people were gluttonous and puking because they're we're were eating so, so much. good at messing things yeah, up, aren't <laughs> we're we? So we good, just find a way. Yes, and so um, Paul writes to him and says, "It would be better if you just didn't do this." And so he corrects them and says, this is why some of you are under such heavy discipline by the Spirit. Some of you have actually passed away because God hates what you're doing. You're corrupting the gospel. You're corrupting the celebration of the gospel. And so one of the things that we know is that the the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper was tied to the love feast for, for the first few centuries of the church. But there was constantly people writing about the corruption of the love feast, how people kept messing it up. And so you see around the third and fourth century, what you end up seeing is people starting to come out and banning the love feast because of its corruption, people getting drunk, people eating too much. And so so it really becomes, I hate to say outlawed, but usually by the, by the seventh century, you don't see any practice of the love feast anymore. It's just been completely eradicated. There's There were synods, there were councils, and finally they're like, don't do the love feast because of its bad reputation. The problem was with at at that time, you see the rise of Catholic Christianity and what they end up doing was making the, the, uh, the participation of the Lord's Supper, one of the sacraments, right? Right around the time of the fifth century, fourth, fifth century, it starts being known as like, okay, this is something that imparts grace to you. And all of a sudden... Almost like an overcorrection in a way. Yes. And what you have is you begin to start seeing theologians and pastors and and bishops start teaching on things like that the miracle, something happens inside. Uh, when you pray the prayer of blessing over the elements, it turns into something. And so there all of a sudden becomes this argument about what's the nature of the elements, and so the first thing you see is that this conversion, this idea of the conversion conception. This this probably came into popularity around the fourth, 
now third, fourth or fifth century AD. And this is the idea when when we pray over the elements, they literally turn into the body and blood of Jesus. Okay. And then there was another view that was called the, the Diophysite view. And this is the belief that it's still, when you prayed the blessing over the elements, it it still remained the physical bread and wine, but when you partook it, it turned into a spiritual, uh, turned to a spiritual presence inside of you. Okay. And then there was the symbolic view that they're just symbols of the mm-hmm. body and blood of Jesus. Well, once once the Catholic Church started taking over, they took the conversion view because it felt like it was very mystical and magical and uh, miraculous, and it was it was a way to keep people. Eventually, over time, you saw because it was a sacrament, and you turned it into the Eucharist and the Mass. It turned into a way to impart grace. If in order for you to maintain your salvation or to maintain your faith in Jesus you had to come to Mass to partake. And the, another transition that happened over time, and I don't know when it happened, is eventually the priest would be the only ones that could take the cup, and the people could take the wafer, but people could not take the cup. And again, it just we, we just stack layers of tradition, yeah. and, and you know, one, one, all it takes is for one pope to say, this is the way it's going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. And you had people come in and say, like, hey, I don't think this should be true, but they end up bringing them yeah. at the stake. It feels like there's a, a control issue there, and maybe I'm jumping to a massive, weird control. Yeah, but it, massive control. Yeah, and it feels like control not only of the people, but it feels like control of that uh, element, that sacrament yes. of communion. Yes. Of if we make it become something else, you you have to respect it at that. point. That's right. I mean, if you go to a Catholic church today, you, especially over in Europe, they will have a place they call the Holy of Holies, and what is called the Holy of Holies is the if you have prayed over the wine in the the bread, um, they will take it. If it's not all taken, if it's not all eaten, they will preserve it and put it in this little. It looks like a little like tabernacle, and it will be locked away. And that is because the presence it's turned into the presence mm-hmm. of God, and now it becomes the literal holy of holies, the way same way that the tabernacle was uh, back in the day with the Old Testament. And so they practice, they believe that and practice that to this day. Um, that these elements are trans- transformed. And so it became this thing over time where you bet you had to show up to Mass. You had to partake in communion because if you didn't, you were in, you were at risk of going to hell or more years in purgatory. Yeah. And so, again, it was a control. It was a way to keep people you know, bound to the practice of the, of religion, as opposed to it being love, it was, it was threats. It was, and so, and and we know where that goes because eventually people do it not for the right reason. There's no love. There's no, there's no true salvation. It's just like, I got to make sure I'm doing this. It's fear based, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is you you have the reformation again, praise God for the reformation. But the Reformation comes, which is coming out October thirtieth, right? Wasn't uh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. The the or November first, I think, is Reformation Day. Okay, okay. It I know it's right around the nailing end of- the the ninety five theses that he did on All Saints Day, which is October thirty first. We've turned into All Hallows Eve, Halloween. We won't go into that detail, but <laughs> that might be a good episode. Okay, in the future. <laughs> but uh, All Saints Day, and uh, and so, anyways, so, so Reformation Day, which is November first. They there was there was all of a sudden hey let's readdress some of these things and so the view that was the conversion 
view that it was that's what we call the transubstantiation view. This is the idea that the elements that once they are prayed over and blessed, they miraculously turn into the literal body and blood of Jesus. And it's the recapitulation of the offering of Christ. He has to be offered for your most recent sins over and over and over again mm. because the blood of Christ has to keep being applied to your account. That's, Which in a way that takes away the one thing he did at that one time. I mean, it, all I would say is read the book of Hebrews. The whole point of, of Hebrews was a once and for all mm. sa- sacrifice. And so, you know, so, so that's why it's you have to keep partaking of it. It keeps people tied to the Catholic Church. Otherwise, you might go to hell. So when the Re- Reformation happens, then you have Luther. Luther changes the view. He has more of a diophysite view. He has what he calls a um, – he tried to correct the transubstantiation view, but he believed that the that it wasn't the literal body and blood of Jesus, that wasn't, but it was the spiritual presence that was in the elements of Jesus. So that's what we call consubstantiation. That word con means with. And so the presence of Jesus is in the elements spiritually, even though it's not physically. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had another uh, reformer, which was Ulrich Zwingli. He was in Switzerland, and he believed in the memorial view. The memorial view is this idea that we believe that the bread and the cup are symbolic. And when we partake in them, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, there's there's nothing magical that happens to us when we when we eat of these elements. It's a time for us to realign and remember and make sure that we are um, living gospel-centered, that we are never moving away from the cross, that we understand what Christ has done for us, to remind for to remind us what He has done, and for us to, as Paul says, to examine ourselves. Are we living according to the the gospel the way that we're supposed to? And so it's this great alignment for us to remember who we are and what Christ has done. The cross is complete. We're just looking back and remembering and celebrating. And then there's what they call the spiritual presence view. And this was, this was uh, promoted by John Calvin. So again, you have the great reformers, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and they all had different views on, on, the, on the elements. And he believed in the spiritual presence view. And this is the idea that it was a little bit less than Luther's view, but it's the idea that that when you partake of the elements, we are remembering it, but there's a there's a spiritual bond and a communion that takes place between Christ and his church. Christ isn't in the elements, but he's in the act of worship when you're doing that. So it's again, it's, we call the, the spiritual presence view. It's there's a sharing there's a sharing of of spirit that takes place between the people of God and and our King Jesus, and so you will see within a lot of Presbyterian churches, uh, a lot of Reformed churches, they practice, they believe in the spiritual presence view. Most Baptist churches, Charismatic churches, they believe in the memorial view, and there are some people that believe in both, right? Mm-hmm. So, but 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 the idea is at Life Fellowship, we have we have traditionally been a memorial view. That's yeah. who we are. That's what we believe. That's what I've practiced my When you look at the life. picture of, of that Last Supper with Jesus, he never at any point was like, this is my body, take it. This is my blood. When he says it- In remembrance Right. Of. In remembrance of me. When he says, this is my body, you got to remember, how many times did Jesus say, I am the door, right? I am the good shepherd. He, so many times, you know, when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood in John chapter six, he's saying that 
in a figurative way. Mm -hmm. And so even in that moment, he is saying figuratively, mm -hmm. I want you to remember me, okay? And so again, it's it's we got to remember how Jesus talked to his disciples in these ways when he would make these these statements to represent his figurativeness in these in these moments. And so when he says this is my body which is or and this is my blood which is spilled for you, he's not saying this is this is literally it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we don't take it any yeah, other hand me that knife over there. In, any, I need to... <laughs> in any other passage of scripture, we never project when John the Baptist this is the Lamb of God who takes away we don't believe that Jesus turns into a sheep in that mm -hmm, moment. Mm -hmm. So why do we take this these words so literally and all the other times where there's figurative language used that we use it, we translate it figuratively. There's not a consistent hermeneutic when you do that. And so Which I would love to know to be in the mindset of all the disciples sitting around when Jesus was using this kind yeah. of language. Like did they get it in that moment? I don't or were know. they kind of like, what do you mean this is I, your I don't you know, think you... they really knew until after of course. After it. And yeah. I think there's a lot of times that like to me, I wonder if this is never recorded in scripture, but I do wonder if after the resurrection Jesus partook he like he did the Lord's Supper with them again. Oh. And they kind of like, they yeah. got it. Yeah. You know, we know that when you see in the book of Acts, they this is when they went in Acts 2, they went home to home breaking bread. Like that's that's their way of saying they were partaking in the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. And we know from early church records, it was either practiced every day by some churches, once a week, or sometimes four times a day. They would do it, you know, Sunday, Saturday. I mean, they, they did it four times. I don't tell me, or four times a week. I understand why four times a week, but... You know, it's just it just as different practices that people did, but the whole idea was it was it was regularly practiced. One of the things that we got to get back to, we normally do like once a month here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're about to reinstitute the Lord's Supper that families can come and take it together on a weekly basis again, which I think is really important, really good. We have instituted that the last Sunday of every month is going to be a time of corporate communion, and so. Um, but we got to remember where it started and where we are now. Yeah. And the whole point is this, it is it is vital for the church to always remember who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and that's the point of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. It keeps us grounded in the gospel, grounded in the cross, grounded understanding of who we are in him, and we can never move away from that. Yeah. And if you you know truly are in that moment, I always do, as you said, it used to be celebratory uh, with the love feast, but there is a moment of heaviness. Yes. If you're focused and if you're in that moment when you hold those elements, yeah. if you truly, obviously it's Understand. not the physical body and blood, yeah. but it's that remembrance of what was done for you. Yes. And in that moment, yes. I feel it when I yes. take it. So I know we're almost out of time. One quick practical question. So I remember growing okay. up in church, yeah. you would sit there with your family before I, I became a believer. And the pastors usually didn't do a great job of explaining this. Yeah. But my parents would always say, "You can't take this. Yeah. You're not taking it. Yeah. You're not. You can't yeah. take it." And it's always like, "Why not?" Like I, I get that I haven't yeah. made that decision yet, but why can't I take? Yeah. So that's and I know you yeah. and Pastor Dan both do a fantastic job yeah. of saying, "If you are not a believer, yeah. this is not this for is, you." This, again, this isn't. Again, this is not. This practice does not make you saved. It's a way of celebrating our salvation. And so if you have kids, you need to explain that to them. If they've never made, or here, here, here's what I also say. If you've been, it, I would believe that if you are a believer, if you have a child that's a believer, but they've not yet been baptized, I would say hold off until you're baptized. Mm. Because that way you, we know that you're ready to make your faith, ser take yeah. your faith seriously. And so um, that's the standard I would have. Obviously, this is not just for everyone. 
We believe that in closed communion. We believe that that you should only take communion if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized. Um, but and again, we're not gonna we're not gonna police that. We're not gonna go around and whack <laughs> smack cups out of people's hands. Like, hey, see your salvation hey, card. Show me your baptism <laughs> card. But I would I would recommend that. I think that's a good practice to do. Um, but again, we. We're not going to enforce it. There's no way we can, but that's what we would encourage people to do. The other thing I would, you know, the other issue is grape juice or wine, unleavened bread or leavened bread. What I would say is I don't think those are major issues. The reason why we do juice and not wine, um, I think is just basically tradition, but it's also one of those things that the reality is, Brit, and this is something that's probably more prominent now than it was in the past. There are certain people because of their, alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. abuse, you know, that partaking in wine is just, it's dangerous for them. Yeah. Even if a little bit, that taste. And so we just know it's, it's, it's easier to do, it's easier to do juice across the board. That way kids can have it. I was about way, to say, if we have a 13 year old who's a believer. Kids and, can have yeah. it. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, those are the kinds of things. To use it's, the buzzword, it's more inclusive. It's more inclusive. It, it's it's not like you if you do it the wrong, this other way, you're you're sinning and going to hell. Unleavened bread, leavened bread. I'm not a big. I mean, whatever. It's it's, it's a sim. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. Okay, but just don't eat pizza and drink ch- <laughs> ch- or grape soda and think that you're celebrating communion. That's the biggest thing. Do Please. that after Sunday, <laughs> Sunday afternoon, once you've left yes, uh, service. Yes. So, all right. Well, uh, Ben, I've enjoyed this one as well, in addition to the two uh, baptisms episodes. And I know we'll have more to come because there is a lot we do in the church yes. that just doesn't make I, I mean, starting this sense. has been, I'm, su- I'm super excited. I want to do one on church membership. I want to do one, you know, just lots of things, like even the church well, service. Sunday school. Sunday school. We need to do yeah. one on Sunday school. Yeah. Like, why do we have Sunday school? Yeah. That's a really and interesting- And for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, that's why we would do an episode <laughs> on it. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, we are out of time, but uh, again, I've enjoyed this conversation on the Lord's Supper. So hopefully next time you're here and take part in communion with us or whatever body of believers you're a part of, hopefully you will uh, have some more historical reference in mm-hmm. mind when you're taking it. And remember that uh, it is a symbol of the sacrifice that was done for you on the cross. It's the the body and blood of, of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Life Talks. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well. So leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.